0: If you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, Sarah's faith. One of two women specifically mentioned in the book of Hebrews by name. There are other women in Hebrews 11, but there are two mentioned particularly by name. One is a princess and the other a prostitute. Rahad the prostitute, Sarah the princess. That's what her name means, princess. And they become for us great examples of what it means to live by faith. Remember, faith is simply trusting obedience. Faith is believing absolutely in all that God says, in order to behave accordingly with all that God says. That is simply what faith is. And everybody in the book of Hebrews falls in that category. They would believe in what God had said. They lived in anticipation of the fulfillment of all that God had said. There was a conviction in their lives about what God said. And they lived accordingly. For you and me to live a life of faith, that's required. And so we're going to look at Sarah's faith today, and we're going to point out four things for you. First of all, the perplexity of her faith. Number two, the priority of her faith. Number three, the potency of her faith. And number four, the productivity of her faith. Four simple points, but the first one is crucial. It deals with the perplexity of her faith. It's very perplexing to everybody who reads the book of Hebrews as to how it is Sarah made it. How did she get into the hall of faith? When you go back and you begin to read the story surrounding Abraham and Sarah, you've got to ask yourselves a lot of questions about how she made it. But here's the good news. If she had faith and she made it, there's a good chance that you can make it too by living a life of faith. Because the practicality of her faith is lived out in everyday life. And she learned to flesh out that faith every single day. And so my prayer for you today, as we talked about earlier during our prayer time, Romans 15, verse number four, these things were written for our instruction, right? So that through perseverance and encouragement of Scripture, we will have hope. My prayer for you and for me is that every one of us will obtain hope today because we study Sarah's life. We've studied the life of Abel. We moved from Abel to Enoch, from Enoch to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, and now Abraham's wife, Sarah. Two verses, Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Those two verses open up to us a plethora of information concerning faith. But like we did with the previous individuals in Hebrews 11, we're going to journey back in time to help you understand the life of Sarah and what took place and what transpired in her life that would move her to live this life of trusting obedience, where she learned to believe absolutely in what God said and then learned to behave accordingly as God said. So go back with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 16. It's always great to go back to the Old Testament to fill in some of the blanks of the New Testament, particularly when it comes to the hall of faith. You need to understand the context. You need to understand the story. You need to understand the narrative. You need to understand what's happening so you can begin to see, number one, the perplexity of Sarah's faith. What was it about her? that led the Lord to put her in the hall of faith. Because when you read the Old Testament, you kind of come up with a different view of Sarah. So you go to Genesis chapter 16, and this is what it says. Now remember, her name was Sarai at this time, which means little princess. She wasn't named Sarah to Genesis chapter 17. That's very important Once you get to Genesis chapter 18, and we'll show you that in a moment, that she had a name change. And how did the three men who came to visit Abraham in his tent know that Sarai's name was now Sarah? How did they know that? Well, we'll explain that to you in a moment. But it says in verse number one, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, or Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. That in and of itself was a problem for Abraham. But anyway, verse 3. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. Now we'll stop right there. Because you see, you need to understand they're in a predicament. And what's the predicament? Well, it's been 10 years. If you read the text, you understand. It's been 10 years since they've been in the land of Canaan. You know the story. We talked about it with the life of Abraham. Abraham was called from Ur of the Chaldees, which is on the other side of the great river Euphrates. They crossed the river. They came to the land of Canaan, and there God would promise them great things. And so it's been 10 years. And over the span of 10 years, all of a sudden you can begin to be very, very impatient as to the outworking of God's plan. And so, what do you do when you're tired of waiting? Well, you take matters into your own hands. I mean, think about this. Remember in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was called. He walked by faith. He went to a land, having never seen the land. He got to the land, and as soon as he arrived, what happened? There was a famine in the land. And you will note that once the famine arrived in the land, Abram never called upon the Lord. He just went into saving mode. So he took his family and they moved and went down to Egypt. That's how Hagar came about in Genesis chapter 16. She was a maidservant that they had received down in Egypt. And as you recall, down in Egypt, he told Sarai, his wife, to lie because She was so beautiful that the king would take her as his wife, kill Abraham. And so he wanted to live, so he tells his wife to lie. So she lies. And that's how the story begins. Well, now you've been 10 years down the road. And the promise of a seed, the promise of a great nation has yet to come about. And so what do you do? Well, one sin always begets more sin. And that's exactly what takes place. Now, God had already told Abram that this child would come from him. If you go back to Genesis chapter 15, Abram said, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? He has no children. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. This was the chief of his servants. And Abraham said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. So therefore, Eliezer, he can have a son. I can adopt that son. And adoption would be good. That'll be the heir. That'll be the seed. That'll be the fulfillment of the promise. Then, behold, the word of the Lord came to to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. So Abram knows he's going to come forth from my body. All right? We know that. But notice, it doesn't say in Genesis 15 that the child will be born out of Sarah's body, right? Doesn't say that. And so when you come to Genesis chapter 16, Sarah's thinking, you know what? I was never given the promise the child was gonna come from my body. So maybe we should try to do something else. After all, I'm barren, I'm childless. And therefore, in order to have a promised seed, We can enact a different plan. A plan that would fit our timetable. Now remember, when they got to the land, Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65. Ten years later, she's 75 and Abraham's 85. That's where we are. They're the age of grandparents not parents, and so they enact this plan, and it's not a plan that's by faith because neither one of them call on the name of the Lord. Neither one of them drop to their knees and begin to pray, Lord, is this the plan for us? What do they do? They begin to rationalize a plan. They begin to think of something that is culturally, legally acceptable, But just because it's culturally and legally acceptable doesn't mean it's morally or spiritually right. Happens all the time, doesn't it? And they begin to rationalize the plan of God. What can we do to make sure we can help God along with his plan? You ever been there? Sure, you have. We want to kind of help God along through the process. And so, Sarah says to Abraham, listen, I'm childless. The Lord has prevented me from having any children. Now, that's a a very important point. Because when you come down to it, at the very end, she's bitter toward God because God has prevented her from becoming pregnant. She's going to blame God. And then she's going to blame Abraham. And then she's going to blame Hagar, but she never blames herself. She's willing to blame everybody else but herself. But she's going to, first of all, blame God because God has prevented me from having children. And so they come up with this great proposal. Instead of trusting God, instead of waiting upon God, they enact a plan for God. Now, remember Isaiah 30, verse number 15, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength but you were unwilling in quietness and trust shall be your strength but you were unwilling god tells that to to israel as a nation and here abraham and sarah were not willing to be quiet and to trust they just wanted to move the plan along also note that Isaiah 28 verse number 16 says he that believes in me shall not make haste he who believes in me shall not be in a hurry hurry to do what to move away from my plans to do your own thing he who believes in me shall not be ashamed. That's how Romans 10 says. And then over in Peter's epistle, 1 Peter 2, verse number six, he who believes in me shall never be disappointed. Why? Because you're never in a hurry to move away from God. But here, the father of our faith, Abraham, his beautiful bride, Sarah, were so quickly wanting to move away from trusting God obedience to an act, of plan that was legal and culturally acceptable, but it wasn't spiritually and morally acceptable. That's a big deal. Think about this. There are many things that are culturally acceptable, legal, but immoral. You can have sex before marriage. That's legal. You can do that. But it's immoral. It goes against God's commands. Legally, you can have same-sex marriage. But that goes against God's commands. Legally, you can abort a child. You can murder a child in the womb. That goes against God's plans. Now, I know that none of us would want to do that because it seems so far out there. But what about this? What about in vitro fertilization? You ever think about that one? It's legal. It's culturally acceptable. But is it morally right? Is it spiritually right? Can you actually rent your womb for someone else? And God be pleased? You say, well, pastor, you're getting a little little off track here because, you know, with modern day technology, how God has allowed doctors to be able to do these things way beyond what they could do during the time of Abraham and Sarah. Well, all these things are avenues by which God has used doctors to create ways that people can have babies. That's not the way God designed men and women to have children. He made it very clear in Genesis chapter 2 how men and women are to have children, right? But what if someone can't get pregnant, then what? Oh, now you're in Abraham and Sarah's shoes, right? you got to learn to trust the Lord. you got to learn to wait upon the Lord. Just because something is culturally and legally acceptable doesn't mean it's morally and spiritually correct or right. And you got to be very careful. Because you see, we are looking for ways to move God's plan along. I can rent my womb and and get out of debt. I can rent my womb and pay off my car. And doesn't, doesn't God, God doesn't want me to be in debt. So let me do that. So we can rationalize anything away. But what does it mean, biblically, and ethically, and morally? You have to answer those questions. Whatever happened to you in quietness and trust shall be your strength. Those who believe in me shall not make haste. They shall not be ashamed. They shall not be disappointed. Whatever happened to the the reality of those verses as they play out in, in your life and my life? You see, we forget that Genesis 16 is for today this wasn't for abraham and sarah way back when it applies to you and me today well having abraham hook up with hagar was culturally and legally acceptable When a woman was childless and couldn't have a child, in order for them to continue on the the line, this would be a culturally legal way in order for the man and his family to do this. So Sarah says, hey, this is a great idea. Let's do this. And Abraham, here's his problem. He listens to his wife. Now listen, I think you need to listen to your wife. I think that's very, very important. But you don't listen to your wife at the exclusion of listening to God. You can't listen to your wife to the exclusion of ignoring God and the plan of God. You have to shepherd your wife through the process. Shepherd her through the difficulty, through the hardship, through the the childless days. Help her to understand what God is doing. Because God had a plan. And God's plan works on schedule. And God's plan was bigger than Abraham and Sarah. God's plan was about the redemption of the world. God's plan was about the coming of the Messiah. God's plan was a lot bigger than just this, this, these two people in the book of Genesis, the 16th chapter. And God was waiting. Waiting for what? Hebrews 11 tells us, verse 12, therefore there was born even of one man and him as good as dead. In other words, he was so old, nobody would believe this. The dude is 99, 99 when she gets pregnant and 100 when Isaac is born it would be 25 years later before the promise was seen in the life of Abraham and Sarah. And so it says this, verse four, he, Abraham, went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarah, I said to Abraham, may the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maiden to your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now she's upset. Wait a minute, it's your plan, dear. This was your idea, dear. What's wrong with your plan now? Now that she's conceived, why are you mad at me? Ah, but Abraham had to take responsibility here too, right? He could have said, honey, this is not what God has designed. He didn't do that. So he forfeited his responsibility as the leader and allowed Sarah to take the reins and to lead the family. And she did. And now she's bitter. She's resentful. The Lord, he has chosen not to give me any children. Now, Hagar conceives, and she has despised me, and I despise her. And after all, Abraham, you didn't have to do this just because it was my idea. But he did it anyway. Now you got a whole bunch of issues at hand, right? You know, last week when I did my mom's funeral, I was talking about the two verses that my mother used to always quote me growing up. And she must have quoted to me me every week, it seemed like, because I always remember them. One, one, One was this, to whom much is given, much is required. She said, you know what? You've been given much, son. Much is required of you. Do not waste it. And then her favorite one was Psalm 106, verse number 15. Be careful. She used to always do this. Be careful. God will give you the desires of your heart, but send leanness to your soul. And how many times she would review people who God gave them the desire of their heart, but sent a wasting disease, barrenness to their souls. So she said, make sure you're doing what God wants you to do, not what you want to do. Those things have stuck in my mind all, all these years. I can hear him as if my mom says it to me every day, even as I speak. And so here was Abraham and Sarah. Trying to convene some way, contrive some way in which they can enact God's plan for their lives. Abraham was a servant of the Most High God. He was called El Elyon in Genesis chapter 14 for the very first time, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Could he not trust God, the possessor of heaven and earth, to give him a son in his time? Could he not shepherd his wife through the process so she could learn to trust God as well? To depend upon the true and living God. One man said this, In whatever a man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed miserably. Those are your two options. Whatever you do without God, you will either fail miserably or succeed miserably. Those are your only two options. So trust in the living God, wait upon the Lord. So resentment develops. And so it says these words. But Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Wow. I'm sure they were thinking, Listen, I know in Genesis 12, when we got here in the land of Canaan, there was a famine, and we didn't pray and seek the Lord. Went down to Egypt, and we got Hagar. It might not have been the right thing to do, but you know what? God works all things together for good. Those who love God are called according to His purpose. So God worked that out. Maybe He'll work this one out too. You can rationalize away anything you want. But they had forgotten that what took place in Lot's life and in Hagar's life changes the course of the world. And of course, to Hagar was born Ishmael, who's the father of the Arab nations. And for 4,000 years, we've had difficulty. Israel's had difficulty. Because of one man and one woman's decision to take God's plan into their own hands. See the ramifications of that? It's devastating. That's why we need to trust the Lord and wait upon the Lord and live by faith. So now you go to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, okay? Abraham is now 99. That makes Sarah 89. Okay, 89. And Abraham has these three men come to his tent. He greets them, the three men, two angels. Okay, one is the pre-incarnate Christ. The two angels are the ones that spare Lot and his family in Genesis chapter 19. And the pre-incarnate Christ, of course, is the Lord. And he comes to Abraham and makes a promise to Abraham. Then, verse 9, they, the three men, said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? How do they know Sarah's name was changed to Sarah? How do they even know what her name was if they were strangers? Unless it's the omniscient God who's leading the way. And it says, And he said, They're in the tent. He said, That is the pre incarnate Christ, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure of my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year. And Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Sarah laughed at God. Then she lied to God. I didn't laugh. Yeah, you did. No, no, I didn't laugh. Not me. I laughed on the inside. But see, God knows what's on the inside, see? Have you ever laughed at God? You ever laughed at a promise of God? You ever think or smirk? (laughs) That's not going to happen. Come on. Come on. That can't happen. But it can because our Lord is in control. He rules over all. So here she is at 89, Abraham at 99. We know from, from chapter 20, these words, or chapter 21, excuse me. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Wow. Look at that. Verse 5. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Wow, think about that. They are way beyond childbearing years. They are way beyond the ability to conceive. That's what God was waiting for. He wants the whole thing to be a miracle. You see, it was like with with Zacharias and and, uh, Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. They were both barren. They were both in their 80s, right? Right? And she was childless. And any Jewish woman knows that it's, a, it's, it's such a, a terrible thing to go without having children. Their whole lives were about having children and, and maybe giving birth to the Messiah. Well, here was Elizabeth who was barren. And she was barren for a purpose. Because she was going to give birth not to any child, but to the forerunner of the Messiah. And so she couldn't get pregnant until it was time for the Messiah to arrive. And we know that God arrived at the appointed time based on Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth the Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So for that to happen, there had to be a forerunner, according to the Old Testament prophecy, so the forerunner can't be born too far in advance of the Messiah. And so he's waiting for the specific time same was true with Abraham and Sarah. He was waiting for the appointed time, the right time, so they could have the child that would bring forth the promised seed, so that they could understand that God was completely in charge of everything. But something transpired between Sarah's laugh and Sarah's lie to chapter 21 when she not just conceived, but gave birth to Isaac, her son, which, by the way, her name means laughter because people will laugh that I had a son as old as I did. God was doing something great. And that takes us back to Hebrews chapter 11 because here she is in the hall of faith. Here she is, as weak as her faith was, showing us the priority of her faith. Listen to what it says. By faith Even Sarah herself, it's almost as if the the writer of Hebrews says, look at this. Can you believe that even Sarah is here? Even Sarah herself is here. Look what it says. Received ability or power to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised the priority of faith. This is point number two. We go from the perplexity of her faith to the priority of her faith, and that is she considered him faithful who had promised. She had to come to a point in her life where she was going to trust God without any reservation, to believe him without any reservation, and to throw her whole life on him. She's way beyond childbearing years. She's in her late 80s. She can't do anything. She had a plan, didn't work. She became bitter and angry. She finally had to wait upon the Lord. And sometimes God takes us through that process. So we get to a point where we say, okay, God, I've had enough, I'm done. I'm I'm yours. Whatever you say, whatever you do, I'm going to trust you and stop trusting in myself. I'm going to wait upon you. The Lord wants us to trust in him. Does he not? You know, some trust in chariots and some in horses that we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. They shall be brought down and fall, but we shall rise up and stand firm. God wants us to trust him, to believe in him. And she considered him faithful. This was the priority of her faith. That is, the priority was this, that the praise of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God is more important than whatever my plans are, whatever my purposes are. God has a greater plan. And she got to a place where she had to trust him. And this is so good because think about this. How many times do each of us take matters into our own hands? We just want to do our own thing, thinking that we're in charge and we can work it out. We can make it happen. And God says, just take a, take a breath. Stand back and just trust me. Wait upon me to answer, and I will. But a lot of us just don't have time to wait. We just want to take matters into our own hands. And Abraham and Sarah both had to learn the lesson. 25 years they waited. We can't wait 25 minutes, let alone 25 years, for God to answer anything. But God has an appointed time, has a perfect plan. It runs right on schedule. It's never wrong. And it fits perfectly, not just into your life, but in the life of everybody else around you. And that's something you need to understand because that's what happened with Abraham and with Sarah. And so you move from the priority of her faith to the potency of her faith. She was strengthened. It says, "By faith, even he Sarah herself received strength, power to conceive, the ability to conceive." Listen, she needed power for a miracle because she was eighty-nine, and she needed power to chase her son around the room. Yeah. Now, think about this: I, my, my wife, and I, and my my, uh, my daughter, we went over to babysit six of my fourteen grandchildren on Friday evening. Okay. A 65432. Six, and how old is Hazel? A year, a year. 654321. That's what their ages were. Okay? I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm only 63. Hazel could outrun me. She's one. She was faster than I was. I was worn out. By the time Aaron and Ashley got home, I was like, I'm ready to go home and go to bed. I am done. I needed the ability that Sarah had to be able to not only not have children, but to be able to, ra- to, to raise children and to be with children. It was difficult. Well, here she is, 89 years old. What is she going to do? She needs strength. and power. you know That's a great thing for you as parents, right? Don't you sometimes, as a mom, wish you had more strength for tomorrow than you do today? When you have your children, you're chasing your kids around. You're trying to keep up with them. Don't you wish you had more strength? That's why we give you uh, those flowers when we dedicate children, the red rose. It deals with a woman's energy and the fervency of her life. Because that's what marks her as unique. Because she has this energy to, to raise her children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because it takes so much. In, it's so much work. It's so hard. Fellas, we could never do it. We could never never do what God designed the woman to do. We just can't. Oh, we can try. But we're nothing like the women that God has ordained to raise, to bear and raise children. And she would need strength. This is the potency of her faith. And God gave her the strength. At 89, you're gonna need strength to raise Isaac, right? And to take care of Isaac that he might grow in the nurture and admonition of Of the Lord, she had to depend upon the Lord for strength. She had to wait upon the Lord for strength. And you know what? God gave it to her because she learned to live by faith. And lastly, I want you to notice the productivity from her faith. Listen to this: the stars. Or therefore, verse twelve. There was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that. As many descendants as the stars, the heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Do you know that the productivity of Sarah's faith has repercussions even to today, 4,000 years later, because God is still saving people's souls? Remember what it says back in the book of Romans, the the ninth chapter, verse number six? But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. In other words, listen, just because you're a physical descendant of Abraham doesn't mean you're a child of God. Listen, Ishmael was the descendant of Abraham, right? Keturah, his second wife, after Sarah died, had six sons, okay? They are the descendants of Abraham. But none of those seven together are the shout of promise. Only one was. That was Isaac. But just because you're a physical descendant of Isaac it doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You still had to believe in the promises of God. You still had to commit your life to God. That's why the rite of Hebrews puts it in here because he's writing to Hebrew people who are all descendants of Abraham. He's saying, look, just because you're a physical descendant of Abraham, that's not enough. You need to be a spiritual descendant. And I think there's a there's a play on words with stars and sand. Sand is earthly, stars are heavenly, right? Stars represent that which is spiritual. Sand represents that which is natural from the earth. And you can be a natural descendant of Abraham, but unless you're a spiritual descendant of Abraham, you're born again, you're not a true Jew. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter two. You're not a true Jew. Just because you're a descendant of Abraham, you're a true Jew, not outwardly, but a true Jew inwardly. You've been circumcised in the heart the flesh has been cut away that you might learn to live by faith and not by sight. And so the productivity of service, faith continues from generation to generation to generation. I love what Peter says. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold, jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. With the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And I know you're saying, I'm not calling my husband Lord. That ain't never going to happen in my house. I can, I can hear you now. That's not what it's talking about, okay? It, it's a word that deals with headship. And so he says this, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Any fear of what? Any fear of what other people might say. But living in obedience to what God has already said. You see, Sarah had to learn to respect her husband. We can't just, Sarah was responsible for her actions, but she had to be led properly, right? If you know the history behind Genesis chapter 12, you know the history behind Genesis chapter 16, Genesis chapter 20, where Abraham had Sarah lie again, okay? He's still doing the whole lying thing. She had to learn to respect her husband. She had to learn to honor her husband. And I think the turning point for Sarah was this. She learned to honor her husband in spite of all of his flaws, in spite of all all of his mistakes, in spite of all of his sin. She learned to follow his lead and respect him. And God blessed her. And she's in the hall of faith today. It's not easy to follow your husband's lead most of the time, is it? It's not. I'll be the first to tell you, it's not easy for my wife to follow my lead necessarily. But yet, when you follow your husband's lead, even though he might be wrong in the decisions he makes, I'm not talking about sinful decisions, I'm talking about just making wrong decisions, God begins to honor that because you see, you are really truly submitting yourself to the Lord's leader over you. You're really submitting yourself to the Lord and following his direction because he has given that man as your head. And Sarah learned that. And Peter holds her in high esteem because she learned to respect her husband, follow his lead, honor him. And God blessed her. So when you come to Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12, you read about Sarah's faith. Because truly, she believed in God. Yes, it took a while. But like all of us, for the most part, unfortunately, it takes a while. But there's no better time to start than right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, the opportunity you give us to study your word. We are truly a blessed people. Thank you for the life of Abraham and Sarah. Oh, Lord, there's so much for us to learn about their marriage, about their faith, and about how you used them in a powerful way. You are a gracious God. You promised. You fulfilled that promise. It wasn't in their time frame, but it was yours. Help us all to see that, Lord, as we begin to trust you more and more And live by faith until you come again as you most surely will. In Jesus' name, amen.